2: Hello and welcome back to How to Break an Artist. How are you doing Finon? I'm good, how are you? Very good, very good. <laughs> Looking forward to this episode. It is like, so exciting. We are spanning the globe with this episode. Yeah, all will be revealed later in the episode. Uh, Today's all going to be about, what, like, a live music sort of thing, Finan, yeah.
3: Yeah, but, like, we just call that live. Because it sounds like we're doing it live. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. No, I think it's like an introduction to live music because there is, we could call it live part one, but this is a huge topic. I don't even think we're going to be able to cover it all today. We'll try our best, but we aim to just have a really good understanding of what it takes to make a gig happen, which is all it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's mad when you go to a gig and like, you'd know this growing up or whatever. You just don't even think about what's happening Mm. behind the scenes. And then, as you've revealed to us before, you've worked gigs as crew. Mm. Like, you know, you described it as the bottom of the food chain, you know, um, in terms of events.
3: Seven in the morning, unloading an Arctic truck. (laughs) Yeah. But the artist rolls up in a Tesla then in the afternoon.
2: (laughs) That's it. That's it. There is a disparity in live music. And speaking of disparity, there is the same as what we spoke about last week, a massive gender disparity in live music. And, uh, you know, sad to say, there was another massive report in the UK about how misogyny is endemic in the music industry. So, you know, backing up everything Linda was saying last week about this being a massive problem in music, men being a massive problem (laughs) in music, basically. And, yeah, God so much to address and we'll we will be unpacking it what did you think you know and well let's go with that stuff what did you think about all that how did how did that impact you and yeah what did it make you feel
3: and think i usually i can listen to the episode maybe three times before it comes out and i think i made it through once and that because i just i had to sit with so much of that i was i was that after we recorded because i was i recorded in the, the city so i just was walking by the docks i was, I was just so angry i was fuming <laughs> just like strolling through
2: it's a fucking really toxic male environment and you know lads 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 yeah lads 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 and yeah th- no wonder there are not many wor- uh women working in the sector like like you don't see many women in venues you know yeah. I've, I've probably seen about three or four women who work like as part of the crew and tech Still, and is in that on Ireland? your
3: bigger? Is that on your actual tour crew?
2: Our touring crew as well. Like, I look back on it all now so differently. Like, if you're like, I only toured with men, I only hired men, yeah, you know. And uh, I don't really
3: have an answer for that to be honest. Um, but on your like, on uh, like, when you got to the second label, um, like the people behind that label own, I you know, know, are we yeah, like, say well, anything? <laughs> like, I don't know, <laughs> okay, fuck, I'll be the one to. Say it, and you say nothing because it okay. doesn't matter. <laughs> the people behind the label you were with, um, like own the venues, are own the yes, promotion yeah, company. Yeah, I know how to do this. Yeah, these yeah. issues, like
2: yeah, like as I was telling you before, and as we <laughs> we got into this zone before these uh, choppy waters when we talk about Irish live music. Yes, yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I again i I worked quite high up in irish music in the irish live scene one of the scenes anyway Did um i did yes (laughs) and yeah during that time i just like kind of learned so much about it but also like we were really lucky with the gigs no we weren't we were very privileged to get the gigs that we got because Mm -hmm. um do you know like yeah it that's what it is it's a privilege it feels
3: good kept in my opinion
2: There like there are gatekeepers there and they, they absolutely are like for example we played ireland's fucking new year's festival like three years in a row do you know yeah. what i mean and that was great like i got i got maybe a little bit of money out of it or whatever and got to have a great time and i grew up going to that festival and it was only on kind of one of the last years we did it maybe it was 2018 or something like that that um we did an hour set. I can't remember who was closing. Gavin James or something like that. And then there was some, uh, another band on before us. But it, we got up on stage and there was like the TV and all. Because it's like, oh, we're going to jump over to Dublin in Ireland where we're celebrating New Year and everyone's doing the countdown and they show it on the TV. It's like on the international stage, this is Dublin. And I turn around and we had had like the full band with us and also Gabrielle. Came along as well. And she jumped up for a couple of songs with us. Yeah, You know, not booked on her own life. It's only with connection to me. And there we are. 10, 9, 8, 7. I'm not going to do the rest of the countdown. And we uh, we turn around. (laughs) There is like honestly about 27 fucking men on the stage. Gabrielle is the only Hmm. woman. And she's not even Irish.
3: So... These are choppy waters, so I'm going to try my best, but it's like...
2: They are. But I'll tell you, after that, I I that was the first time I'd known, and I noticed it in the moment, and I remember myself and Gabrielle said something. We spoke about it, we made comments about it, just to ourselves. And then a picture came out on Twitter, and it was quite widely shared. I think I retweeted or something, but I fucking felt so bad, man. I was like, that is so shit. Here I am after taking this. i got to try do something yeah. about this. And I, as I said to you, have worked up on those echelons of Irish music and so I thought oh Jesus I will try and talk to people about it who can do something about it if they wanted to uh, oh they click their fingers I'd say and and things could happen you know and it was one uh, surprisingly a woman actually um, I was talking to and I said look I got a bit of stick for an event that I played and also I do not agree with What's happening? Like, there should be more women on these lines. I can't remember the exact conversation, but the response I got back sadly was so similar to what Linda was saying last week. Like, there just aren't the women in Ireland to do this. And, you know, <laughs> women, women makes, Irish women make sleepy music, all this sort of crack. And I'm going. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And then also then proceeded to list women who are apparently sounding like that. Um, and yeah, Whoa. it just made no sense. And also women don't sell tickets, apparently. Uh, that's, like, that's what I was told. Even though Taylor Swift, Julia, <laughs> But also, like, if you look <laughs> at just lineups across music, like this is another yeah. thing that happens every single year. They remove all the men from festival lineups. Yeah. And you end up with like three little dots on the page at the bottom of the lineup. And they're all the bands who have either a woman in it, <laughs> a woman singer in it, or, uh, so, uh, or like a Jesus, it'd be very rare to have a, f- like a full female band, do you know? So it's across the board. It's something that is spoken about, you know? Uh, and I don't know that, like you said, it's literally, there are gatekeepers here. And like, we found out a little bit from Linda last week, like, this is an unregulated zone, like sort of like, the. you know, we need things to come in and, and to make this equal or, or you know, and, and, and then particularly lads need to make this a better working environment for women because why would you want to fucking work like in, in, in this environment, you know, with it was such low pay, no working conditions, no HR department, you know, uh, misogyny uh, is, is endemic in UK music.
3: One thing Linda mentioned was like, you know, like the people who were like the top on the, at the top of the radio list like the men at the top of it they were contacted yeah i'm not going to name it like anyone specific um but like you you'd kind of get a an understanding let's say from being like a fan of their music or at least just like looking at what they do and how they talk to their audience and stuff mm-hmm. and I have their audience listen and just like scoop it up they could easily be the change but yeah. i don't understand this is i guess the last week for me I'm just trying to articulate this the best i can i don't understand like the deep-rooted nature of this or why it's so deep-rooted it kind of blows my mind in a fucking i don't know of 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 either like ignorance stupidity whatever it is that's that's that that deep-rooted part i don't understand what the fuck it is or how to like just go like
2: Come on, like, <laughs> I know, well it like. just comes down it comes down to education, like exactly what Linda said, once you're educated with all this stuff and once yeah. you're aware of your privileges and you realise that it's unfair, well then you know, surely you should jump into action and, and do something about it I'm disappointed with those lads up on that list for, for yeah. not fucking showing any solidarity with the women of Ireland and, you know, getting behind this and I just fucking hope to God that changes because, um, you know again, like this shit can benefit all? Like, what if there was some sort of campaign 50-50-50-50? So, 50% of all music on Irish radio has to be Irish. That benefits everybody, men, women, you know, non-binary, people of colour. Everyone will benefit from radio playing more Irish music. And then, sure, if you're going to do that, make it equal between men and women. There are more women in Ireland than men. It does not make sense that it's five times harder to get played on the radio or fucking however many times harder to get a gig or whatever.
3: Do you know? And when you listen to the radio now like during the week um, really like, was it <laughs> really came on? I was like oh there <laughs> well, they are yeah. <laughs> I was like like yeah. you notice and you're like probably, that's probably like the 20th time that song's been played
2: I mean can you just imagine if some of these huge names in music international music just, just lent a fucking little tweet or whatever it is to just, just to try and shame yeah. a few of these people in Irish radio who are stopping this from happening you know it happens as well. Oh, gotcha. Like, there
3: are issues in, in the world where those artists, um, at least some of them, um, were pressured to make a statement of some sort. Yeah. And they did. And it's the pressure. It's like, there mm-hmm. there isn't the pressure. There's there's no, there's no reason for them to budge out of comfort. Well. Like, and there's no pressure on them. How much do you need? Like,
2: do you know what I mean? That's, that's what it comes down to. It's like, they're obviously benefiting from this system. So. I wonder, is it a thing that people are afraid? Like like Linda said, there's a lot of women who don't speak out because they'll be blacklisted. Like, the, yeah. the thought has crossed my mind, Finan, you know, uh, about having these opinions and speaking about them so openly as, as artists, you know.
3: Um, I wanted to ask it to Linda, but I, I ended up just keeping... Yeah, I don't think we got to it, but it's just like... Because we're talking about basically like that, the gatekeepers in this Irish live yeah. scene. It's like, how do you. So it's like two things. It's like, firstly, how do you talk about just like issues in the industry are just like basically just like have a podcast like this and expect to be given a a gig under their promotion company? Let's put it that way. Um, (sighs) I don't expect it. (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) Secondly, it's also how do you speak against people who are in these positions and not get your fucking arse whooped by them? It's like, it's that thing of like, we talked about this in the development of the podcast. It was like, will we talk about X, Y, or Z? Because there could be X, Y, or Z. It's like, now, it's like, you have to sit with yourself for a couple of days and go, you know what, fuck it. It's worth talking about. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I think that's that's what it comes down to. I have learned it over the years, to be honest. It's not come easy. It's never, ever easy Mm. to... uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> to speak out on things and i think uh part of it for me was like i was so entrenched in this uh marketing thing of being you know me and my brother that like if i was too outspoken yeah. like you know it's just i was kind of in a weird identity thing with that band so as soon as i cut the tie i'm like right i'm fucking me there's no other person to consider here yeah. in my words and i can Be clear and concise and, you know, sometimes not clear. Just me and the show. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sure, the show, just the title would have fucking pissed them off. Do you know what I mean? Like everything about it just (laughs) pisses them off. Like it's just any outspoken artist to someone, you know, we've spoken about these sort of characters before. Like any sort of outspoken artist, same as any of these gatekeepers, radio and stuff, they like to believe they have power and all of this stuff. And, you know, they do um sadly but they do and they don't exactly artists have the power we're always saying this you know so yeah i think you just if it's wrong it's fucking wrong like if the as in like Mm. if you don't agree with it and fundamentally it's not making you feel good well then what's the fucking issue in talking about it you know what i mean um
3: uh if you're benefiting from it but then like virtue signaling that you give a shit about this or what do you like check in with yourself like yeah that's very aimed. Sorry. <laughs>
2: well, I think that what Actually, what I'm it not, comes to, what, what it comes down to is like like money. Like what really pisses me off is like financially, I am not in a position, as you know, uh, like I've got nothing to lose, and that is my power, I suppose, yeah. in some ways. But also, like yeah, other other people have a lot of power. They make a lot of money. Like when is enough? That goes. Yeah. Okay, I've made that this year. Do you know what? And actually, this is a really interesting one to kind of bear in mind. The sort of people I was working with before, one of the quotes I remember the most was, sell a million records, you can do what you want. That's yeah. the sort of attitude. It's like, you don't know anything until that type of, until you hit that bar. Go on.
3: There's a very big artist, you know, <laughs> going around the place, let's just say. Good. I say know.
2: And it um, would make a massive difference.
3: Massive. And it does say stuff. does take stuff. And from what,
2: what certain artists markets towards us is, uh, I won't give their uh, gender away, person of no. the people. Mm. So, you know, it does confuse me a little bit, all this stuff, because so much could be done. And I don't have... I'd love more power and followers and fucking money. And, you know... I'd be able to fucking talk about it. Hire hire lawyers, get people backing me up and shit. But you know, um, <laughs> I I do have to be careful about what I yeah. say, which you know, some <laughs> people might find surprising. No, I do, I would just say fucking do it. Like silence is the worst thing. I silence trust your <laughs> skills. Silence is the worst thing. Why why when you have the facts in front of you, how can you how can you be silent? You know about it. Uh, it's such a such a it's, massive. It is fear, surely as well. Issue. It is fear for like.
3: In, in ireland at least in the irish music scene
2: yeah and that's why the government have to step in because this fear exists these power well. exist, and that's why it's not it's it's not healthy exactly so that's why there needs to be some sort of thing in, like there's positive things happening i promise you <laughs> we will talk about it in yeah. ways that we can maybe get out of all of this whole mess you know like we 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 need to discover why we're broken first i think before we start kind of fixing mm. things but like uh we are getting there with solutions do you know yeah i just think it's a big fucking mess man
3: i think we handled that well <laughs> i
2: think we did no, i'll make it lovely um <laughs> but you know and <laughs> we're getting way too fucking ahead of ourselves here we've spun off into like the, yeah. the uh, weird dark section of irish live music which is uh the Slytherin yes. of Ireland music. Yeah, a very niche topic. <laughs> Fiona and I like to dive down every now and again, and we will no doubt yeah. cover it. I think it's just about keeping the conversation going and keeping the pressure on. Um, that's really what yeah. I took away from the second half of last week. And then, I mean, PR, the insights she gave us on all that stuff, that has absolutely blown my mind, completely shifted my perspective from, oh yeah... I don't really care to, oh shit, you really have to fucking care because there is so much to that that I, you know, I kind of understood, but I, I'd i never really gone that deep on it. What did you think?
3: It was the factor of like, there's the graft and then there's the pure story. It's kind of yeah. like everything is apparently homegrown, basically. If I was to say it from a pure point of view, <laughs> but it's yes. not. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like... Now, this isn't in any way shit talking but it's just kind of like in the i don't know the i can't say this word sphere of, of uh, like emerging acts it's it becomes noticeable what the pure story is when something like a uh, music showcase or certain things come around uh, like massive uh, gigs and who's getting the sports that's, who's getting those spots in comparison to the people who are actually like who actually doing it like DIY are in that position and they're grafting up to those spots through the route of, like, you know, early music week to Eurosonic to Grayscape. It's, like, the narrative's there, but then the actual, like, operating structure behind it. And I think that leads to, like... And I'm saying this from someone who's a bastard for comparison. um, I think it's easy to compare yourself then because we all have the same output, which is music. We all have the same thing, which is social media and all this stuff. But then... It's like, these, there's the people with large teams, there's you where you, wherever you're at. And I think PR yeah. is like, if I could just say it to anyone, like, I guess from that, it's like, don't compare yourself. <laughs> there's a PR story. And then there's the, like, you know, how it works.
2: Yeah, the graft, as you know. And yeah, that's so interesting, man. What a takeaway. And after all that, like, how does it make you view early Hudson Taylor and how we were marketed? or uh, I bought it. I ate that shit up, man. <laughs> <laughs> what was that shit? Please tell me. What was it to you at the time? Ah, uh, Jesus.
3: Brothers. Happy brothers. brothers, brothers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Bus, buskers. That I know that was yeah. you. Like, that was play. Like, you know, we we're Irish brother. We were buskers. buskers who
3: opened for the script. That was what it was. And we were like, oh, look, look, they're, that's so cool. They're buskers. Like, that was the takeaway. as yeah. like a 13 year old. Um, there you go so yeah. interesting
2: that was our kind of narrative and uh how did that narrative change in your opinion over the years over the albums
3: um you i felt like you didn't know what you were doing with yourselves um after the first <laughs> album, <laughs> but now i know why um.
2: um yeah and i don't think that was down to PR. no but um no
3: i think the PR was there yeah but it,
2: the image and the story the narrative wasn't
3: but i think it was clear because it was like the PR, the image, um, which I still would have bought into, like, because, like, there was no re- reason to question it. But then, like, the second album just, like, wasn't coming out. Or there was just, like, more EPs, more EPs. Or just, like, things that you kind of noticed yeah. the cracks in that contradict it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um,
2: Interesting. I'd be really interested to know as well if you're, like, an old fan of Hudson Taylor listening. Do you notice these cracks, like Vionon did? Vionon is particularly forensic with these things, so um, <laughs> so perhaps not. Yeah. But I'd be so interested to know how the narrative changed. And then, what about Hotstealer's last album? I thought we, you know, it, how did that come across? Oh
3: man, that, was, no. that dead in the water. <laughs> <laughs> A great! I know it was my. It's. I loved it. I loved the album. There was
2: little or no PR <laughs> campaign behind that album. Yeah,
3: that, that, the PR was dead in the water. Not the music or anything it was um
2: yeah i thought i understood the importance of pr then i understood it even more after talking to linda like she just had so many amazing insights linking it all to like ray and all the stuff we've been even talking about as well it was just really cool
3: she hits the nail on the head in ways that i i'd never be able to and i think that's why she's so great to listen to
2: Absolutely, but I think that's loads to fucking draw on from 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 last week. And yeah, I mean, sure. Look, we only have what maximum two hours to cover probably the biggest subject of all, which is live music. And thankfully, some help with you know, well, real life experts. But I wanted to ask you if you know you did your first gig in November, two three months ago, whatever. Yeah, like, tell me about it. How how was that experience?
3: <laughs> I, man, like I remember, um, it was the release week. And I thought as it all panned out, it was like my film was playing in England. The song was coming out on the Friday and the gig was on the Thursday. And I was like, I can do that. And then by the time the gig came around, I had so much adrenaline that I, I it literally just like, I don't know, everything felt like slow motion. That I just like ran through it <laughs> like really calmly. I, I don't know how the gig, the gig went well. There's a, my friend um, sent me this message from it. Um, dude in the front was crying real tears man his wife wasn't happy she said he didn't even cry on their wedding day um, okay so it must have gone very well then <laughs> it went for,
2: well <laughs> for that particular member of the audience i mean i remember talking to you before and after and yeah you were <laughs> you know, on cloud nine like i mean firstly how did that gig happen what did it spawn out of what was the idea for the gig and then with that idea like where did you go with it how did you book the gig just for because that's like a massive milestone which you've kind of just
3: glossed over there <laughs> yeah fair. Uh, I, you know <laughs> i was like sure it's big. That, that week was big <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i wanted to do something in real life to mark the release and it was a first release so it wasn't like i was gonna book like a venue that like has a capacity of a required capacity and that kind of pressure to it and there was basically a pub i know the owner he play there for free and like let me like on a gig there, and I decided not to charge people because <laughs> I didn't know, I do not know if it was worth. Is this like mind of yours there yeah. for <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I was worth charging yet. Um, ah, you definitely yeah. are. Well, you could
2: have done pay what you want. That's yeah, yeah.
3: busker, go with that. Uh, I was paid with a glass of whiskey, and I think that was grand. Um, ah, very good. But it was it was really lovely. I wh- what I enjoyed about it was it was people I really cared about in the room sharing that like moment and I got to prepare for it with I'm gonna like Cal and Marin <laughs> who like were amazing. Um and I'll be getting them into the studio with me um in a few weeks' time. So it, it actually really like set up the songs and Cool. Um as it, it went forward I I, I realised what songs that i'd actually just kind of like leave on the shelf and which ones i'm actually going to like hold on to mm. so it was that it was great in that regard it, it gave me a, a reason to decide you know what to do with all these things before yeah um, first it's
2: informing like your decisions on what you may release based on how it went down and then it's also, yeah. also it seems like it's informing your decisions on the instrumentation because you're like playing live with people and figuring mm. out that whole world, We're going to get into it like musicians, other people playing, all the rest of it. Like, that's, um, yeah. I mean, it's loads of things you've kind of conquered there. And I'd say, really good advice playing to, you know, people you care about and your close yeah. friends and family. And like, you know, for your first gig, do, oh, do not put pressure on yourself to try and sell loads of tickets it's in a way yeah. it's good you did it for free you know uh because but well, it is hard to get people out to two gigs you know so i think it's good advice that starting small and looking back on it now is there anything you wish you'd done differently anything you can any little nuggets of wisdom
3: charge people or let them pay what they want <laughs> <laughs> right. there you go yeah. there you go <laughs> um but look i i've had a lot of time to think over it like and and i think you know yourself like um it's only kicking in now how long term you have to plan when the year starts and how literally like you're thinking to like september and october like you're thinking like the whole year to figure out where you'll be what country you have to be in all this stuff and so i do have like goals gigging wise and i'd like to pose this to you i guess it's like that thing of you set those goals and it comes back to okay each day like it's smaller actions each day over time they add up and then the mental part is just like very overwhelming then sometimes when you're sitting there um just kind of being the person not the performer and you're like yeah okay, so that is, I don't know, 10 months away and I've got to play. Yeah, it's all this.
2: The feeling looms, absolutely, yeah. Because there's also, yeah, there's the back, all the back-end stuff you need to sort out for the gig before you play, rehearse it. I mean, sure, we're going to get into it. But, like, just the feeling and knowing, like you said, the planning, all of that stuff of knowing you're going to be there and knowing I have to be this person on stage at that particular time. You know, I spoke a bit about it over Christmas. Like, you know, the thought of that... Mm. then becomes worrying so like i wouldn't be confident because i know say there's like six nights in a row at christmas i'd almost be going into it worrying because you know which is not the mindset you want you want to be going in super confident like "Oh, we have got this but i'd almost be going in worrying because there's so many things that can go wrong (laughs) on the day and then in the whole lead up before it welcome to the live world spin on
3: (laughs) you know it's like you there's no there's no pity like you have to just get used to it like there's like there's the, there's a the next gig, and there's the one after you're gonna have to or the studio whatever it is you, it's just like there it can you will be you'd be trying to sleep at night and randomly it'll come in and you're like, oh yeah, that's a thing that's happening, and you have to like switch off from the adrenaline of excitement oh, nervous pressure whatever,
2: yeah, i mean you you were talking there about the realities of it, obviously maybe yeah. charge people in the door next time like <laughs> it you obviously didn't make money from your first gig
3: no i heard the first no uh, no, well, no well, well look that
2: that may change <laughs> it may change so you own the master you even moving forward like i imagine you're at a stage where you have to make investments in your live set like how like already you're probably what Minus, I don't know, something for too much, whatever all the stuff you have to set up. So, like, what do you need to play a show because it'll be different for every artist?
3: Uh, a good pickup, that a was a good
2: pickup, which is what, like, a uh, thing for a guitar for your guitar, yeah,
3: your guitar yeah. being gig ready. That was the fun. Way so, to you had a guitar,
2: year. how much was your guitar, first of all?
3: I don't know, like, let's say coming in under a grand back in 2020 and would have invested in us over the years to just like be be looked after and um and then the pickup in it was just like the standard one but it was never reliable and on that gig it just didn't work i had to use on your first else. gig yeah i had to use someone else's guitar. yeah well there you go yeah and you know like when you have your guitar and it's like the, the i don't know the dimensions of it you're just so used to it really threw me off <laughs> so like the first one is a finger picking thing and i was like okay this guitar is half the size and i've never played oh my god yeah um so but it's
2: like you said you just kind of have to like yeah you have to and it's character building stuff and it's it is good you went through that like
3: you you can't take yourself too seriously in any of these things because like that's the thing if i'm if i took myself so seriously (laughs) i'd be like with the release with the guitar with the whatever like I'd, I'd have given up. <laughs> you know I, I mean? know,
2: yeah, yeah, like, it's because it's, yeah, there's a lot of knocks, financial knocks, uh, emotional knocks, all of yeah. these things before you even get any sort of glory. And then, as I've told you before, the glory <laughs> is not always the glory, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. could be a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, particularly yeah, with performance. For all performers, man, it's like it's not just artists, dancers, all sorts of performers, I think, go through all these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, God's this is it. like where do we even start? There's just so much to talk about. Um, as someone who's been to see me live in in a few different capacities <laughs> now, what do you have to ask me? What would like 16 year old you know want to ask ask
3: me? Oh God, will you come see me busking when you're playing Cypress <laughs> <No, I'm joking, laughs> um, In my head, I was thinking about this if I was to compare like you playing the three arena for the, the charity gig. And then compare that to like you playing Bally Maloo, which is just out in the sticks. Um, yeah. Or a venue like Cyprus or like a really, or something like that. Like basically like each venue, the, the day is different and how you are. I know you're like, I, I remember your schedule, at least on the recent ones, it's like get up at five in the morning or something like that. Yes. It's like all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, how did that change as you grew? Um, when you when you kind of looked after yourself and your life more in comparison to just the the initial adrenaline, just kind of doing everything?
2: I obviously didn't know anything about live music as an artist when I first got in. Like, I'd done some gigs and stuff, but, like, any stretch of touring and, like, the professional live music sector, which it is, it's the sort of money that it generates as well, is is massive. But it's a whole industry on its own, the live music sector. And I knew nothing about it, really, but I had managers who knew about it. So I was able to trust that they knew what they were doing gig wise. And they booked yeah. us our very first gig in London. And I think I showed you the poster mm. before. So that, that was how it worked at the very beginning when we were independent. One of the first things we did before we got signed, because it, it made us more attractive, was search out uh, a booking agent. Most of the big biggest bands in the world all have an agent as well we ended up getting quite a, a, quite a high bar agent on the first album. And that really helped us with things because we were then getting deadly gigs. That same agency booked Jake Bug, and we were on, and went on, tour, we went with on tour with him. And that was like our first yeah. experience of a tour. He had a tour bus. We were in, in like venues playing to about 1,000 to 2,000 people every night. And it was like, whoa, massive step up. We'd done a couple of gigs and little runs before that. But that was the first time we worked for a whole tour with a tour manager, which is basically exactly what it sounds like. A person who manages the tour, the the amount of roles a tour manager can take on can differ based on the budget and the artist and and whatever. But for 10 years, to fucking finally answer your question, (laughs) my (laughs) life was basically organised... As you said, like, I, I, I would live by this itinerary. Gabrielle yeah. spoke about it earlier as well, which is, like, all the things you're doing that day, when you've got to leave, when your sound check is, when the stage time is, all that sort of mm. stuff, that would be kind of your life, essentially. Until then, my more recent live career, when, like, financially, there's not as much money in touring as even there was 10 years ago when I started, yeah. I have had to take on the role of a tour manager, basically,
3: that's a, so what I imagine is that there's basically like a rigorous routine of of for a certain period of time and then switching off from that. Is that difficult then when you go well, to Well, there is
2: routine, but then there isn't routine. Like you said, you're in a different venue every day, you know, and then the times you need to leave will differ. So it's like the routine of being told what to do, but not the routine of actually doing the same action over and over again. Do you know? Yeah. The, the only action you're doing the same is playing. And that becomes, you know, after twenty nights, muscle memory. You can, you can, you know, think about things that when you're, you know, like your your body does it.
3: Those that tour, with Jake Bog, are I know you played Shepherd's Bush back in the day in London. How does that compare then to the final Hudson Taylor tour? I remember when you got COVID and the tour basically postponed. Did that put a nail in the yeah, coffin? Yeah,
2: I mean that's that's another whole thing. Like you know, COVID came and completely threw off the whole industry and like there was massive still is knock-on effects from that and like yeah. you know rescheduling like became a massive thing and like we rescheduled like that tour like the last hudson taylor tour i
3: think there was a 2020 tour and i think i then c- that went to 2021 and then there was yeah. the last album tour and that was that was in the, the in june and then it got postponed to like So September. the
2: 2020 tour to promote our second album got postponed so much that it ended up being our third album tour. Because <laughs> we'd written an album in between and, and there was no way we would have been able to like, you know, do the reschedules and also sell more dates for our new album. So we just said, look, why don't we make this? Essentially. And, you know, we did it at like an Olympia and some uh, big dates around Ireland. And, you know, sadly there wasn't anything in the UK You know, even though we're like our biggest audience is in the UK, you know. So COVID's kind of came along and changed my life anyway, and my route it snapped me out of that routine, not routine. And um yeah, you know, I was a live performer before COVID. And being a live performer, like it fries your brain, as we've been saying. Like you cannot fucking think straight. You're you're always which, like up on adrenaline and you know you're flying all over the place but yeah if you are completely lost don't worry we're about to explain what live music is all about really by a very very qualified individual um you met him Finon. A at which gig Elliot yes I remember yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're talking to Elliot he let me backstage he let me backstage <laughs> yes he did uh, he is Gabrielle's. Tour manager, and he's also uh, just, he's been a drummer for some huge bands. He's like a promoter and a rep. And if you don't know what any of these things are, you're about to find out. Uh, He's tuning in from Australia. I don't know what he's doing over there. I just just scrolled on Instagram going, fuck, I've got to cover all these topics. You know, he's going to ask me what all these things people do. And like I said, I'm an artist. I could, you know, I know it from an artist perspective, but he genuinely does like live music as a career, do you know, yeah. uh, not being an artist. So I think it'd be really interesting to talk to him. And yeah, I mean, ask ask him questions all about his various jobs and roles. And yeah, he's tuning in from Australia. I just saw his smiley head on Instagram and I said, Jesus, so I'll get in touch with him and he's 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 up for it. So yeah, uh, we're, we're about to hear from him now. Thanks so much for this. There we go. Sorry, just oh. allowing all of yeah, this. On. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for this, Elliot.
4: Yeah, all good.
2: Yeah, we just kind of wanted to chat to you because we're talking about live music. It's obviously a massive subject. It's a massive sector. And there's loads of different roles and things to try and explain for like new artists, which is what Fionn is, Do you know. Yeah. So you, you, I met you as a tour manager, which is You did indeed, role. yes. How, and what are you? Sorry, you're in Australia. we have better mention that as well. <laughs> because yeah, we did in the Australia beginning.
4: is 6.25am in the morning. Yes, yeah, nice and early. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: it, like, are you out there tour managing at the moment?
4: I am. I'm uh, with AJ Tracy. We just had a show last night at the Enmore Theatre. Wow. We're off to Brisbane to start Laneway Festival, which uh, begins today in Brisbane. So, yeah. That's all good. We've got got a few of those coming up and a couple of side shows and yes, really, yes, good vibes out here. It's great.
2: And as a tour manager, how long have you been in the works for this tour?
4: Oh, this one has been a long time coming, actually. I think um, I started, we got the uh, notification of the shows in September last year, so I've been uh, working on it for a while, so yeah and right up to the right up until the day before we flew there was a lot uh a lot to do so it's um but it's good it's happening last night was great the first show went amazing so yeah can't hopefully uh hopefully all the same and yeah can't complain currently it's all it's all looking good so yeah touching wood right now
2: <laughs> tell me um like what what have you had to plan so like what like just the basics sort of thing you've obviously um... you start with what like where you have to be first of all and then you got to but flights, visas, I imagine, like there's must yeah. loads to do.
4: Yeah, there's a lot with this. So yeah, I got the um I got the contract through with uh with all of the fees. And then I the first thing I did was do a budget um with figures that I was just loosely pulling out before I got in touch with anyone. Um so yeah, obviously flights. Um I had to read over the contract and see actually what was included. So on this one, hotels were included for the show days, um, and internal flights were included, but, um, I wanted to check the routing on those. So yeah, things like that, things initially stuff like that, but then also then we're factoring in because we haven't done a tour for a little while. It was production costs, um, such as we've got entirely new video content for all, all of the 17 songs in the set. So, uh, we had the, all of those redone with, a, uh, amazing, content creator called Bronsky who I've known for a long time um through tour managing through repping Bronsky does a lot of great acts wow yeah re- really cool creative company and he's done an amazing job on all the footage so um yeah so that was also factored in and uh, yeah a lot of lot, a lot of stuff really uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of moving parts. I mean, it's, it's funny because it's a small show, relatively speaking, with uh, personnel. It's AJ and Nigel's lovely DJ. Um, but actually, it's you know, there's still a lot to plan. It's no different, really, to having a big
3: band on the road. It's the same thing. It's just uh, slightly different, you know what I mean? Wow, man. So with the tour in Australia now, I know you just mentioned he's a DJ. So is there, like, equipment being like driven around the place so or- yeah so
4: we we're, we're flying our dj controller and uh we so we have we have a, a pioneer dj controller which is the like one of the newest ones which we run into a macbook and then that um that outputs the audio and the video as well from there so it's kind of cutting out a playback guy on on the road really because that would be a bit over the top yeah. w- when we do the bigger shows uh like like when we did reading in leeds um in 22 we had uh, playback then because Obviously, the video content's coming out differently. Um, uh, but yeah, but for now, it just keeps it really simple. We use Serato video, and so it, it works It works really well because the controller controls the fading out of all the videos. It looks seamless. It looks like we have playback, but actually it's just all being done by Nijin from one source. So,
3: wouldn't mind doing that loadout.
4: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just making sure we've got all of the power supplies because there's lots of those, but yeah. <laughs>
2: Wow, so that's like four, five, six jobs already you've described in just uh, a lead-up to one tour. How many people are out there with you? Like, how many people have you got to account for, you know, get hotels for...
4: Um, I have six. We have six of us on the road uh, in total, plus the touring rep who um, the promoter sorted out. But yes, there's seven, seven all traveling. But I I look after six, um, six of us. So, yeah.
2: Okay, And then touring rep and promoter. You you mentioned that there. You also do do a bit of that as well. You have done a bit of that. What is that?
4: Um, Well, Yeah, that was was sort of my way in, really. As a promoter rep, um, I was I started working with uh, Metropolis. Years and years ago now, a very long time ago. Um Promoter Rep is essentially the go-between between the venue and the tour party, touring party, whether it be the production manager, tour manager. Yeah. And you are the person that facilitates the show. So you'll get sent the tech rider from the band, um, or act, shall we say. And then, you know, they'll have specific requests and then you liaise with either the venue or or depending on what, you know, budget-wise, because you'll have a costing from the promoter you make the show happen i mean so sometimes and more often than not on regular shows there's not you know there's not often the budget for production but when you get a step up to the bigger levels the promoter will have put in factored in costs for pa lights video wall etc because the agent and the manager will have said for this tour we would like this you know to make make it happen and then yeah some, quite often you're you're doing that you're you're you know you're aiding them to get uh, get what they require to make the show happen whether that be for each show or touring for the sh- you know across the tour yeah and and that's that's a little bit of that job i mean there's a lot of roles in that job really it's um it's quite labor intensive you know there's there's a lot to do it's buying the rider it's uh put doing yeah. the signage it's doing the security brief it's doing the passes uh the you know the sticky passes that everyone yeah. See, stuck on guitar cases. Yeah. You know, they don't no really think about those, but someone's had to think about what 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 they're for and what they're doing and how they function. And uh, yeah, we we had it last yeah. night at the venue, really, because there was quite a layer of passes required. Because um, yeah, security's quite tight. well. We run security very tight on this tour, so
2: yeah. yeah. Wow, interesting. So security's involved as well. Jesus, yeah. There's loads of loads of things coming into it. What is on the yeah. rep thing? What is the most ridiculous rider
4: request you've had? <laughs> that's a good question i um I, I i some. i think i started blocking it out for a bit but i i bought about ba- a band wanted soprassata ham once a long time ago and i went to town <laughs> i went to harrods to go and get it for from the food hall and then i came in to say goodbye to them and it was just on the floor upside down in the packaging up <laughs> upwards and they were sort of standing oh, on it and i think that was oh. the last time i stopped caring about <laughs> about what people get on their rider. It's like, I, don't, I can't be precious about it. Just buy it and, and leave it. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you get, you get silly oh. things, but um, yeah, I think people less, I mean, I just seem to be, I, I, you know, that Sainsbury's um, like, what was it? Wrapped playlist. I, I, I was the, uh, the highest purchaser of um, Pucker teas, the herbal <laughs> tea selection in, in the, yeah, I was number one purchaser in Where the country. You, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I'd, yeah. I'd say you were. I remember unloading the trucks in the, Summer tours, and there'd be the people who had to look after the artists, and you see them going back and forth, back and forth, because like when the bigger names came into the stadium, they're just their whole day was just like, and another thing, and another thing, and it was just getting, yeah, matter and matters, so, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it does, it does. I mean, it's
4: funny on the big, yeah, that like you say with the runners and stuff on the bigger tours, you can, that's the funny thing, you kind of goes out of your hands a little bit. I mean, you just get the receipts at the end, um, but yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all goes, all all manner of, manner of stuff. Yeah. And so,
2: there's like obviously loads of different tiers to touring. Like what you're doing now seems like it's a pretty high tier or higher budget. Yeah. Or like yeah. what what if you're doing like lower budget stuff or even working with like a support band? How do things change? Is that more probably more stressful for you? The le- the smaller the budget or.
4: Um. I suppose it's just being mindful. It's just in that world of, of being very mindful on spending. Really, it's that's when you're just. It's more that's like people management and and making sure everyone the morale's good because chances are you're sharing four to a four or five uh, to a travel lodge family room and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know getting up at silly o'clock to do Ryanair flights if you if you're going overseas and. And things like that, really. It's just about managing everyone and making sure that everyone's okay because, actually, it's not a very nice situation for quite some time. That's that's kind of the vibe, really, because the, the money's kind of – it's you know what it is, and you're not going to be making – breaking percentage on on selling out shows because you're the support act. You're just getting your, your £150 or well, – I was going to say £50, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, £150. You know what I mean? It's That's all you've got to yeah. work with. So the van, the hotel, you know – that's all got to factor in and it's it's about that really but um, it's been a
3: while since I've done I think it's the perfect segue um, what was it like working with Hudson Taylor on oh, Thor oh,
4: we, we had a great <laughs> laugh we had a good laugh didn't we Alice yeah we no drama we did I was looking back at photos the other day it was great fun
2: oh no it really was yeah Uh, i mean even on that tour like i remember losing a considerable amount of money like as a support band in america and yes perhaps sanity as well, you know Um, and you were doing it like
4: you were you were being very careful then i remember you know because hotel wise it was yeah you were being very yeah
2: i got to i got to cut costs because you were tour managing gabrielle we were supporting her and you know uh so so like again it's 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 not a lot of tours make money in my experience um like there's a perception that there's loads of money in live music would you say that is true or false
4: um when you go to the stadiums but i think even you know i I just think you've yeah not not at all really it's you you, yeah like you say you you think there is but actually you know and the thing is these days as well is is wages and and everything has gone up for everybody you know trucking companies busing companies all of those things i mean i speak obviously i've got a good pool of friends of tour managers and we speak regularly about things and it's just the shock and the cost of things these days it's like everyone thinks that you know it's all coming in and it's all all right but i you know we all know the costs and actually you see tours and it's like they're probably going home with you know five percent of w- what you think they've got you know it's really um yeah yeah totally And it's only on the higher end when you're shifting hundreds and hundreds and thousands of units of merchandise then then you're laughing and and you've bought the yeah. production that's able to you know you're you're using the production and and also probably as well it like i said earlier with promoters chipping in there's it's just doing the deals really but otherwise it's um yeah it's really tough really tough you know even yeah even with the extent of this tour it's we've we've put a lot into it because the video content you know doesn't come for free it's um that's you know things like that it's yeah everyone has to get paid so
2: yeah and by everybody as well like yeah, so so like a session musician will be on a day rate. Right? You'll be on a day rate. Right? The on yeah. lights will be on a day rate. Right? All of that. So, you know, you might get one big fee. It might sound massive, but mm. already just in the crew, the travels, oh may, maybe the visas. It's it's like shrunk down to nothing. And then you're kind of depending on dates in a row to make it even profit. Is would that be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Have, you, have you got? So you need to do two nights.
4: Two nights yeah, that sort of thing. Um, it yeah. Helps. But yeah, like you say, it's it's everyone's, and it, you know everyone has to be looked after. But it's it's important to look after your people. That's the other thing. You can't. Yeah. The minute you start cutting corners and saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, we can only pay this," and finding people that accept it, then then that makes it hard on the road as well. It's finding the balance. Really, it's it's really important um, to know yeah. where to and sort you, of.
2: Uh, so you've been like a session musician as well. So... I have exactly. So that's like you've been like also played with really successful bands like would you would Valentini. you uh,
3: sorry on? no no i was just name i was yeah go on go place. on name drop yeah yeah
4: you're a
2: drummer as so well you're a
4: drummer yes. elliot so like i, I yeah, was uh, a drummer i mean i'm still a drummer you're always a drummer right but yeah no i, I started with the uh, maccabees and then it was kate nash uh then paula nutini and also lady hawk from new zealand interspersed in and around uh, the later years of uh, my session drumming so wow. yeah um wow. yeah i was really blessed with all of that so yeah i've, I've definitely seen all sides of the coin really well yeah. that's why I, th-
2: I that's what i think makes you so, uh, such a good tour manager you know you have an idea of what it's like to be on that side of things as well i suppose Absolutely. you would have worked under a few tour managers and you like you said you know a lot of tour managers how yeah. do how does the style change? Like, are some people more uh, strict than others, Are some people more uh, laid back? Like, how how does it differ the job? Like uh, now as well with 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 technology. Like, you embrace it. Do some tour managers not embrace it?
4: Yeah, no. I think um, we would. Uh, we know a, a guy, a session musician. Uh, you and I Alf, and we were chatting about a tour manager he had, and he just doesn't embrace anything technology wise. You know, he's still very yeah. much pick up the phone, make a phone call post yeah. the post the day sheet under your door on a piece of paper, all those kind of things. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, very old school, but no, I embrace it. I mean, it's, and it's important on, on a tour like this, you know, we're all, everyone's on their phones constantly. So it's the best way to get into people and get them to get the information over. But yeah, they, everyone has their own individual fortes and strengths. I think, I think that's something that I've, I, you know, I know with everyone and when I think of people, if, if someone says, oh, if I'm busy, do you know him? Do you know someone or him or her who can do a show? And you think, right, they they could be good because they're good at that role or, you know, yeah. everyone has their own individual strengths, organization. Are they, you know, are they a good people person? Are they, you know, are they on it with finances, like, you know, numerically, are they, are they astute? It's all those sort of things really that yeah. um, come into play. But in a way, you kind of want an overall someone who's kind of covering all the bases because yeah, something's gonna give if yeah. they're just focusing on one section. But but yeah, there's there's people out there. There's people out there. But it's um yeah. It's 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 a hard job. It is a hard job. I mean it's I know people think it's a doddle and what a life. Like I put up a photo yesterday of us outside Opera House, but it was a long, long, long old day yesterday and lots you know high um high pressured because yeah, you don't and literally anything can happen. I think that's the thing with it.
2: Yeah. Um, well, and when something goes wrong, who do they
4: look at, Elias? Yeah, exactly. All <laughs> fingers point to me. <laughs> yeah. All
3: fingers point to me. So, yeah, yeah. How do you find um, t- tour managing now post-pandemic, um, whether it's international or even just regional, like with it kicking back off? Um, deflected back in a, a full swing
4: yeah i mean it's it's certainly it's yeah it's, it's a lot better than it was i mean i started touring as soon as um as soon as time would allow and 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 restrictions would allow i was straight out so it's been interesting it's seeing it all from from going in with having to mask up backstage and and you know uh, do covid tests for certain things and it's like it's never happened really <laughs> I've, you know apart from the signage and things left up everywhere else it's um it's like a ghost you know, but it's, it's all fine. It's, it's yeah, it's been it's been okay. Yeah, just have obviously conscious of everyone getting COVID. That's the only thing. Yeah. It's,
2: it's, that's the whole thing. That's it. And, uh, Elliot, we know all about that. We were on a tour bus together when, uh, when COVID was just kicking off, you know. We were. Uh, yeah, and it was crazy, crazy. Some of the things... We'd have been saying to each other back then. Ellie, think what's going to happen? Oh, see you in September. Like thinking oh, three yeah, months. Well, uh, I think you know. we said
4: yes. Yeah, see, yes, yeah, see you in a bit. <laughs> I didn't see you for about two years, but yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like you said, it's like it never even happened. You know? No, yeah.
4: exactly.
2: And then one final sort of question. I'd be so interested. Vinon is dying for a few support shows and a few gigs this year. What would you tell him? Like a bit of advice? How is best to conduct yourself as a support as a support band on you know a big tour?
4: well just just be friendly with everyone just when someone tells you the rules and tells you what you know what they'd like or or gives you a hint of what what the vibe is just please go along with it and yeah don't think you know better <laughs> cuz uh that's that always goes down yeah. really badly <laughs> really badly yeah and just just get on with everyone and just uh yeah just be on time come off stage on time and yeah, Ever. don't expect too much. And then if you get more, then you're you're winning. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah on, honestly, I think well, yeah, that's fucking so amazing much. advice, Elliot. Um, yeah, no
4: worries at all. Yeah, so, yeah I, I hope it's been all right.
2: You've been great, honestly. It's just um, <laughs> yeah, you answered them way, way, way better than I could. So fucking cool. Um, oh great. Well, should we should we let you go? You're you're going back to it now, are you? You're I'm, or I'm or literally or... going
4: to jump in the shower and then I'm going to go <laughs> downstairs and start yeah. paying everybody's uh, room, room expenses. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. no, it'll be all yeah. right. But, yeah, no, great yeah. to chat to you guys. All right.
2: Likewise. Sure. Thank yeah. you so much, yeah. Elliot.
4: Nice. One. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Talk, yeah, Bye. talk
2: soon, man. Bye. Next up on the show, we are going from Australia to the West Coast of Canada to chat to an artist who reached out to me way back when we first released the podcast. Her name's Alex Johnson. She's released loads of albums. Her music's absolutely brilliant. Also, she books her own tours, which I think is really cool. So I'd love to ask her some questions about that. Yeah, she got in touch very early on and said, oh, she would love to collaborate on an episode. So here we are chatting to her. And yeah, I cannot wait to ask her loads of questions and to hear more about her career. Oh, here she is now. Right after the break.
5: Hello
2: guys, how are you? Hi, yeah, how you doing? yeah, very good, very good. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, what time is it for you there? Six o'clock. Yeah, six o'clock in the evening.
5: <laughs> I was in Dublin just in May playing um, playing Wayland's, and actually, my husband is from Northern Ireland, so his family's from Belfast. No way. So,
2: oh, amazing, <laughs> yeah. lovely. Have you spent a lot of time time in Ireland then?
5: You know surprisingly I've actually been I've been there a couple of, of times I've um I think I've just only played there once before so far but it really is such a beautiful part of the world like I mean it's just we've often thought about potentially I don't know retiring over there or something you know what I mean <laughs> it's like,
2: yeah and where are you, where are you at the moment I saw on your Instagram it looks absolutely beautiful
5: it is beautiful. It's um, it's just a place um in in BC, kind of in the Lower Mainland, and um, BC is so beautiful. I'm originally from BC. I was I was born on the on the west coast of Canada and ended up migrating over to New York in the East Coast in my early twenties. But uh, yeah, everywhere in BC is is gorgeous, and actually. We were um, up in the interior, a place called Salmon Arm, which is about four hours, even more north to visit family um, into the interior. And it's just so many mountains here. It's gorgeous wherever you are.
2: It looks so beautiful. I'd love to, I'd love to spend uh, more time. I've only been to Canada like once, but thanks so much for, for this today, Alex. It's a very chill chat, but yeah, just like starting off, Alex, um, how, yeah, how did you hear about the podcast?
5: I, you know, it must have just been an algorithm because I the only, I use Instagram quite a bit for my music posting and, you know, it's a great channel for me as much as I actually kind of wish I could be completely removed from social media platforms. There is also so much positive in them like this uh, meeting you guys. Um, you just came up in my feed and I thought it was such a great idea for a podcast. I myself... And in the beginning stages of planning a podcast um, at the end of the cool, summer, it's taken cool. like, quite some time, but it's something I've always really loved. I've, I love the whole um, just idea of, of just open conversation about people's experiences um, across the board from farming to cooking to music, creativity. I find it inspiring hearing people's struggles I saw what your podcast was about. I was like, I hadn't seen something like that before and I thought it was just really interesting. So I reached out and here we are chatting now.
2: So cool. Well, I can imagine you'd be absolutely great at it and we can relate to how hard it is to make a podcast because we were (laughs) in the planning stages (laughs) for about a year. But no, that's so cool because I remember just, yeah, same exact same way someone on instagram actually said when i just first released Anton about the podcast uh just a little trailer someone said oh my god you should talk to alex johnson so i was like i think i followed you and then you sent me a message saying you know love the sound of this podcast and here we are chatting so i just thought that was so cool like if maybe a fan of my music and a fan of your music did that without even knowing and here here we are chatting so like you said like that's a really positive side of social media um, and we hear a lot about the negatives but that's actually it's a lovely story
5: yeah if, if you can divide you know and find a way to um, you know find a silver lining in it all I, I feel badly saying out loud how much there's things that bother me about social media because I've, it's been such an amazing uh, independent tool for me in my career it's really allowed me to get tickets, you know, directly to my fans, um, promote my shows, promote my ideas, um, bring hope to other struggling artists. There's so many things about it that have been so amazing. I just think that, you know, it's important to have structure within it and have your limits within it and also be aware of the power that it, it holds. So I think it's really important for people to remember that we all have a voice and we all have our platforms now. So it's really important that you're aware of what you say and the message that you're spreading out there to our youth, especially because it's just so, um, it's just, it's so accessible to anybody. So there's a lot of danger in it, but there's also just a lot of amazing, beautiful power in it as well. You know?
2: And like, you've obviously had, like you've had a long career. I don't think social media was about at the beginning of your career it was just coming about when when I was you know my career is probably due to social media um like when you started off how did you start how did you get into music in the first place well it
5: took a somebody it took a middleman i mean specifically it took somebody who believed in me enough to then bring me into and open the door for me you know and introduce me and take a percentage of me and you know, so in my career, there was so many steps, there was such a pyramid of approval, you know, which, yeah, which is still, unfortunately, the infrastructure of the major label system. These days, I think it's tricked people into believing that that is success, that if you can get somebody at that level, corporate, you know, somebody with a lot of money to believe in you, then your dreams will come true. It's such an archaic way of looking at Um, just that creativity. I mean, if you look at everybody has the ability and the power to create, you don't need approval from anyone. My life and my journey growing up was all about approval physically, um, talent wise. I mean, mostly as a young girl, it felt very physical. It felt like I had to be presented in a certain way. Like it was a Miss America contest or something when really I was just a girl who wrote songs in my bedroom. And I was, I just like to say, and um, that was what it was about for me. It wasn't about anything else. It wasn't about, it was such an honest, true expression as a child. And, and it did at times turn, turn a little ugly, but luckily, you know, in my story, which is quite long, (laughs) we don't have to get into all of it.
2: No, we got time. That's the great thing about podcasts. Yeah. (laughs)
5: Um, Luckily, I was able to, through my experience, really turn it into something that could work for me. And I think that became kind of a superpower of mine. So yeah, it started out very different for me. I mean, I I was a child and I went, I walked, I'm from a very big family of, of I was in the middle of 10 siblings, now nine. And um, I just walked down in a small town, I went down to an agency and I said, I want to sing. And then he was an acting agent, talent agent. And he said, well, we'll get you out for auditions. I didn't even know what that was. And I would just hop on the bus and bus down to Vancouver, which was about like a 40 minute bus ride. And I was like, pretty young. (laughs) And, um, and lo and behold, I landed a couple commercials and that was great because I was making some money and I could put it towards whatever craft or thing I wanted to do or horseback riding or, and then it became this kind of, wow, this is, this is, this is a means of making an income so I could, pursue my dreams and then it turned into landing the lead of a disney series wow and um yeah so that changed my entire life as a as a young girl you know so
3: uh i'm a director myself so i was looking into the the acting part of your story and do you feel like the the acting was at the time a way for you to pursue music and it kind of the focus went into the acting more or was it always the music at the the forefront and while you were navigating the show and um the different acting roles
5: yes it was a huge distraction i never you know i never wanted to really be like a famous i never connected to theater in that sense you know i connected to musical theater i connected to musicals i loved les mis i would listen to whitney houston i would listen to you know celine dion and all these amazing vocalists and music is what I loved when I was a kid, but it just kind of happened. Like I just kind of fell into this huge position, like carrying a a TV show at such a young age as a child. And it really did become like, I'm an actress now. But the thing is, is the roles I would get were always kind of music based. So it's like, because if I'd get the part, they'd be like, oh, she can sing, we should incorporate music somehow. And on on this series called So Weird, where Mackenzie Phillips Who's the daughter of the Mamas and the Papas. Um, she has a huge musical background and an incredible story. She was kind of played my surrogate mom in the show. And um, yeah, I just, it was a music-based role, which was great. So I actually got to write a song. I think it was maybe one or two for the cool. Yeah, which was like, yeah, that was really cool. But no, of course, it's been, I mean, to, to this day, I struggle with the legitimacy sticker. I feel like people don't want to legitimize me as a musician because I had so much success in acting. Um, They can't Mm -hmm. give you both. They go, no, she's not. She's, you know, she played Jude Harrison on instant star. That's what she does. But they forget that I wrote the music for instant star. You know, they don't, they don't see that aspect of it. And that's been my struggle as an independent artist. I feel is that, you know, you look at artists like um, Gregory Allen Icicoe or you look at, art, yeah. like, you know, I, Jenny Lewis has somehow I find found a way to yeah. navigate coming from being a child actor to, you know, being an artist. But I'm still I feel like I'm still in that middle ground of people remember me from TV and then they see that I've been pursuing music. But I think that they don't realize that I've been independent yeah. for so long on this trajectory and major labels signing me. And it's almost like you feel like, okay I guess you're gonna make me spend my life you know earning that
2: <laughs> if it's if it's anything alex i knew nothing about your acting career when i first found i found you as an artist and i was like how oh, oh my god she makes amazing music like your songs are you're such a good songwriter like um i was like oh my god i want these songs uh, and yeah just really really like it was really nice and then only in the last couple of days when I was like, "Oh God, we're talking Alex, I'd better find out about her career and then I'm like, Oh my God, what on was like yeah. she was on this, she was on this, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's so interesting that i and I can imagine like I know just from even being in a band like separate to who I am now like it's it's not obviously going from acting to music, but I don't know it it feels like there's so many people know me for that.
3: But you were an actor, Alfie. Almost.
2: I was almost an actor. Yeah, I did like one audition for that show, Nashville, when I was in America. Actually, <laughs> do you remember that?
5: Yeah. Did you? I, I, I never got the part, but I did audition. Yeah, it's so funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I shouldn't. I should never mention that, Alex, because it was so cringe. Like the the yeah. Anyway, anyway, forget forget I ever said that.
5: No, no, trust me. The, the audition process is also another thing that I find incredibly archaic. And we can talk about that, I mean, just the whole process of putting somebody out. I mean, man, imagine a screen test for a network. You just walk into a room and there's people sitting in a theater, about 25 people just looking at you in a silent room and just judging if we're good enough. I mean, that's like a oh. disaster. The best things I've ever been mm. a part of acting wise was like Rodrigo Garcia. <clears throat> He's an amazing director and um, cinematographer. He just reached out to me because he found my content and my music. It was another music-based role. But he just met me for coffee, and we just read the script together. And it was like, cool. and then Julie Styles came in, and we all had a coffee nice. at her place, and we read the script. And it was like, this is what it needs to be. Like, we're all human beings. Like, this whole Eon display, and now turn around, and let's see if you have the right size, right fit, right skin tone. It's just like insanity. I find it really archaic the way we structure that as well, you know, absolutely. (laughs) So I don't blame you for that.
3: (laughs) When did you decide to pivot from pursuing acting to that's it? Like even leaving, like in Canada, they have all these productions and um, I know Smallville shoots up there and the different CW shows do, but what was the, what was the decision to, you know go to new york and pursue music and leave that kind of world
5: i had played these rock stars on tv shows and i was always playing for background performers i am um, i had been playing background i've been i had been playing music and been portraying these rock star type characters to background performers the majority of my acting career and my music career i never got the opportunity to you know really pursue my music because I was always filming. So David Foster had discovered me and invited me to come and sing with Michael Buble at a lot of his uh, foundations. So his his foundations in Victoria, BC, right. where he lived. He lived or lives. And he would bring me down and sing... And he would be on piano, and that was an incredible experience, and he actually wanted to work with me at the time, but I was so hellbent on writing my own music. And I knew that, okay, if I'm doing the acting thing, and doing this, and I have to play these characters, if I'm going to do music, it needs to be my music. I can't just be playing characters on TV shows and then singing other people's music. Like, I'm, I couldn't do it. My conscience wouldn't allow Yeah. So, of course, I close yeah. that door. You know, I'm like 14 and saying no to David Foster, like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, you make the best decisions in life with the knowledge that you have. So, yeah. you can't back in time and change things. And to be honest, I think David yeah. Foster is an incredible producer, and that would have been a- an amazing experience. But I, um, I didn't necessarily leave acting. I just, I decided to move to New York City. I was kind of in a bit of a depression. I felt the Hallmark movies and stuff like that wasn't calling to me. I felt like I wasn't tapped into, like, I tried pilot season in Los Angeles a couple times. I had some really close calls. Like I I had screen tested with Annette Bening for Freaky Friday. So it was going to be me and Annette Bening. And then they ended up going, Lindsay Lohan had an option deal with Disney since Parent Trap. So she was already kind of in the thought of... Of what God. that would be. So that God. was an interesting, like, I was also up to play Gretchen in Mean Girls. So Mean Girls was gonna be, it was gonna be three blonde girls, Rachel, Amanda, and then me. And then they ended up going with Lacey, and she's hilarious. Um, and that was just all based on um, a last minute decision. So I had all these close calls on the acting end, and I, and I was just kind of sad, I remember feeling just a bit empty, a bit like I wasn't reaching my potential creatively. And then I just decided to move to New York city. I had nothing really. Um, you know, I had sold my condo that I had bought in Vancouver, wish I never did that. And I took the money from my condo by the water. And I just basically lived off of it in Brooklyn for like three years. And I just went to Rockwood music hall every night and I got as tapped in as I could to the, to the scene in New York. Um, I didn't have two cents to rub together. My rent at the time was $400 for like a bedroom. That's the size of like a toothpick off a bathroom. And then, yeah, yeah. And I started just doing music. I started just looking solely towards just being an artist and playing shows. That became my focus then. Yeah.
2: Wow. That is so cool. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. That New York scene sounds really good. We had, do you know Greg Holden? Yes. I think He spoke to us on the first series and uh, he sort of, in a weird way, sort of had a similar story, but obviously moved from like Northern England or London or whatever to to New York. Rockwood Music Hall. He was saying all the same. I was like, I recognize this. I was like, oh, my God, it's Greg. Um, Yeah, uh, that's so cool.
5: I do know him. I'm going on tour, I believe, with a guitarist that went on tour with him. Um, And also we both worked with Greg Wells in Los Angeles on, I believe. I worked on a whole record with Greg Wells, but I think Greg Holden worked with Greg as well so there's a couple yeah small industry
2: it is Hmm. yeah ah that's so cool yeah but that just that whole new york scene singer songwriter scene around that time it just sounds like it was really fun
5: yeah it was it was definitely uh you know a different place in life like so many things have changed in my life when i'm back in new york playing shows i think wow like the sacrifices that are made for your art and you know you're living off a dime and you're putting everything you're you're lugging your gear on the train like all your music gear on a hot new york day you're just loading it in and you're sweaty and you're just fighting for a bit of stage so you can just you know live a little piece of whatever dream it is you're trying to to reach it's magical new york is such a it's a it's a it's a tough city but it's there's so much collaboration in New York that it's just a magical place.
2: Is that when like things started happening with major labels? And like it was New York where the industry found you? Or how did like your music career change when you went to New York?
5: When I went to New York, I had already lost two major record deals. So I was in LA working on an album with Capital. Andy Slater, the head of Capitol Records, signed me and I started working on a record and then he lost his position there and I was kind of like handed around to different A&R. And because the A&R didn't discover me personally, I wasn't like a, I wasn't a passion project for them. I was just this girl on a label and that was a nightmare. So I really wanted to get out of that. They also flew me over to the UK. Actually, I got to work with uh, Marius DeFries and Guy Sigsworth from ProFro And um, Tim Kellett and just from Red. I got to work with some really amazing talent over there. And then that went sideways. So then I I was also, and this was all by the management I was with. They just kept putting me out on showcases, trying to get me this major record deal, major record deal, major record deal. So then I signed again with uh, Rob Stringer, who was the head of Epic Sony. Um, I believe he was the head actually of Sony Records at the time. And I was signed to the Arm uh, the arm called Epic. And then Charlie Walk was the head of that. And they signed me and um, started and put me with Greg Wells in Los Angeles, where I started doing doing a record with Greg. And Greg had had success off of One Republic, Apologize. And he was also at the same time doing a record with Katy Perry and Kesha. So it was Katy Perry's first record. So yeah, so I was in, I was in LA doing that for several months and then the record was finished and then it never got released again because Charlie Walk lost his position there and I was floating at a label with no means to... And they spent $400,000 on that record at Epic
2: of mine. Wow. I was going to ask you how much they spent and did they
5: make it back? No, it never got released. So it's just sitting there. I'd have to buy it back and it's all songs that
2: I wrote. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That is... That's terrible, and it happened so much. Um, yeah, it yeah, happened so much. I'm interested to know how much did those major labels lean into you as an actor, and how much did they play on that, like marketing wise? You know, were they no?
5: At that time, it was I had the success of the being the lead of um, of two TV shows. What happened is I had I had landed the role of Silver in 90210 on the CW and I was yeah and I was wow. signed to Sony and this was interesting like they they did Sony did see the unique artist in me like um Rob Stringer especially I felt like he was on my side when it came to not you know basically I said no to 90210 in order to finish my record and then tour it I was hoping to tour this record I wrote called Wait and um, so I turned down an entire new series to play like I think Silver was also another like artistic musician role on that show. But so they weren't pushing me into like, oh, do 90210 where they were actually at the time like, OK, let's get this record, you know, let's get this record out. And but again, I was just in the major label
2: game. Yeah. As, as you said the person who signed you left and then you're you're kind of just left to people who aren't passionate like you said
5: it works for like the the two the, percent the that squeeze through through the door and there's still you know 98 percent of talent that's just sitting on a shelf waiting to get their career off the ground and it's really sad because these are people who have you know these are people who need to survive right like i don't come from a wealthy family it's not like i'm You know, I've I'm sitting back, you know, even being from the TV world, like I was really, you know, I helped my family as much as I could being from such a large middle class family. So it's not like I was sitting back on riches, you know, just like this meant this was my whole life. Waiting for this record to come out was like yeah. survival at the time. You know, I'd said no to another TV show. I'm like now not acting anymore. I've taken this entire year, you know, to work on a record, and it's just so quick. I, to me, it's insane that people can just hold you and own something of yours. You know, when you don't even get to you don't, don't even get yeah. to release it. Yeah. So yeah, that no, just made it's... me so angry. Right? Like just. Yeah
2: really angry it shouldn't be there should be something in place to stop this from happening if if something goes bad and i'm interested to know alex how did it come to an end was there like you know a pinnacle like what what was the how did you get out of this situation
5: it was just silence so i was waiting for my record to get released we had done strings at capital studio b like 36 string i did an arrangement with paul buckmaster who did um space odyssey with um david bowie
2: that is so cool
5: It was amazing. He passed, unfortunately, a couple years ago, but he was an amazing, oh, my gosh, like a dream. So we arranged the whole string parts for that record and it was going to get released. And then honestly, it was just radio silence for about 11 months. I was just waiting in my apartment in Vancouver and just I knew in my heart, like, why isn't anybody giving me an, an answer on my album getting a release? Like, what's going on? What happened is Charlie Walk, the head of the label, he moved on somewhere else, something happened, the infrastructure of the entire label shifted. So there's new A&R coming in, there's old A&R going, and you just get lost, you're just an artist. That's why they call it being shelved, because you're taken and you're put on a shelf because nobody knows what to do with you as they're reconfiguring their power structure of the label. So then you're just sitting on a shelf and your record's not realized and nobody really cares. But that is the funny thing, is that money has been spent by the label. So that all that yeah. money just been spent on this album. And then you just, yeah, you just get, I got a phone call. This, this, this woman named Amanda, she's actually British. Her name was Amanda Ghost. She came in and she took over that, took over Epic briefly. And, yeah. and she had a comment and she was a songwriter herself. So she was constantly trying to get in and write songs to get on the album. So that yeah. happens, too, right? Like you have an artist who has a collection of songs that they've written. So it's not really about if the songs are good or if they're, If they're if it's just about how can how can certain people get in on that, right? So you'll get, you know, somebody who comes who's a position of power at the label. Well, now they're also a songwriter. So they come in and they go, Yeah, well, you know, your album's great, but you should get in the studio with me and we should write a song (laughs) together and that will be your single. So then you're being kind of thrown around like this. This, it's just this really inauthentic, uncreative power play between people who are trying to get their cut on a new artist.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that really pissed me off. I can totally relate to that. That happened to me countless times. And yeah, I, I remember the head of one of the labels I was with, and I actually even still have the emails, emailing like a Grammy award-winning producer and telling him what he <laughs> thinks the song should sound like this man from the label is just ahead of the label like doesn't have much musical background but also just felt so confident that he could come in and tell you know someone who's a, a complete professional and also won a grammy what to do and how to do it it just yeah there's like a certain confidence some of these people in labels have to tell artists or to like you said get their mates on the songs or to you know it's like they've already agreed something saying oh i'll i'll get this songwriter i'll help you out and i'll I'll get you on Alex's album or I'll get you on Alfie's album. You know, it happens. It's
5: just so, it's so bad. It does happen all the time. And it, um and we'll get to what I think will be the change. What I think is going to work and where I think the power is to, you know, overcome and win the fight as an artist. I do think that we need to, that there's a couple things that we can focus on and do. amazing To really stop this from happening to artists because it is, it's horrible, and it's also anxiety, you know self-esteem, yeah' trauma, it's a massive oh, trauma, man. like mo- losing the record, you know, like I've had children, I have two kids now, and losing that record weight that I had spent you know six years of my life writing and working on and finding a home at a label and really putting so much into this and the sacrifice away from my life and my boyfriend and my family and being alone in l a and just navigating everything in life to just have it be shelved was like losing a child. It felt like I was like, I miscarried. It felt like I had put so much excitement into something for so many years and I turned down other opportunities to just have one new person come into a position of power and go, I don't like it. Oh, mm-hmm.
2: That's so sad, Alice. I'm so sorry to hear that. And you can't get this album back. I know.
5: Well, I don't even want to. I mean, I, what I did is I just went back to the songs and when I put out my last record before Seasons was called Still Alive. Yeah. And um, I took all of those songs from Wait and I just reproduced them and re-recorded Brilliant.
2: them. Brilliant. Ah, Well, that's. I, I'll have to give that another listen well, then with that in mind. How did you navigate
3: the, um, the decision to not sign another deal or go down that route and to become an independent artist? I presume it was either like the... The kind of dawn of social media and youtube yeah. or maybe just before it but how was it that kind of as a factor what it must have been such a decision to make without those just being so prominent as they are now. yeah
5: for me i didn't find it cool anymore i didn't find it like an avenue that i thought was to me it just wasn't like i just felt icky like i just felt like you know when i I know what it is to take an artist and churn them out to me it felt like going to mcdonald's and getting like a mcdonald's meal next to going to like your favorite local organic shop
2: yeah so for
5: me the entire idea of getting signed again felt so cheesy and it felt so like puppety like i'm a puppet on a string i knew the inner workings of it now and i didn't buy it anymore wow Like I had met Katy Perry. I had met these people. I had seen what they went through in order to put out their music. I had seen what they had to do. And I went, I am not gonna do that. So it was a blessing because I was like, no, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna take as long as it's gonna take me in my life. I don't care about your Grammys. I don't give a shit about the award that you think I need or not need. I'm gonna get my music directly to my fans and I'm gonna save, save lives based on my drive to believe in myself and my music and i do not need approval from any structure or label so when i when i had that feeling in my soul i was like i'm going to be a pioneer in this like i'm going to keep breaking down walls and doors and i'm going to show yeah. every you know male or female in power who gets to decide whether i have a career or not I'm going to show them that they have absolutely no power in that whatsoever. So that became my goal. So instead of being signed and releasing a record and look at me, I'm on the radio. Like somebody gave me the go ahead. Somebody thought I was good and turned into like, screw you all. I'm going to go this way.
2: Wow. You know?
3: It parallels the film and the television thing of like being the actor, going for the audition, going for the self tape and then, the whole turnaround to going, Oh, fuck you all. (laughs) Yeah. Mm
5: -hmm. Even now I'm working on like my own, my own, I've been working on it for a couple of years and when the timing's right, but like my own screenplays, my own things that I believe in and putting a team, it does take collaboration. Like, Oh my gosh, utilizing your contacts, building a team, Mm. getting people inspired. Like, I mean, I do these things on my own, but it's not on my own at all. There's like a whole, there's a whole crew around what I'm doing. And Anything that comes in, you know, I divide between, and it's like you get this, you get that. Like, let's keep building, 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 building. It's a very um, inclusive experience to be an indie artist because it's you are, but it's just it's not, yeah. it's it's not keeping Definitely. all the wealth just for one person. <laughs> it's like you know,
3: it, it's such a that's the part I love the most. Whether it's like putting together a music video or a film or that version, or I'm going to the studio for the first time in about two weeks. <laughs> Uh, Cause I recorded the first song in this living room um, mm-hmm. and getting like the musicians organized and, um, and like I did the sweet. Yeah. Very excited. But I did the film route in London to try to get on crew like, and same thing. It just, it just like almost got Bridget in almost got this show. And it just like, like never clicked. And I was there, I was just like, what am I doing? And then com- comparing that to just like stepping away from the structure of it and doing, your own version of it with people who love what they do and collaborating on it it's just been um, such a, a lovely thing and then Alfie telling me like don't sign a record deal don't sign a publishing deal it um, <laughs> was very handy
5: yeah um, that's <laughs> true like, because yeah I still haven't signed a publishing deal I decided really? I'm not like there's no
2: yeah so you've never signed one never and how how did you hear Where? about like <laughs> why how are you so smart basically <laughs>
5: Well, you meet, you meet, you meet people along the way. And, uh, again, you know, my distaste in the industry, in the way, in the, that side of the major industry just really gave me, I started doing my own research and I started going like, you know, like, it's like, there's not a point in my life to do that. I'd rather keep, I want to own things that I make, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, definitely wise decision. I'm unpublished now for the first time in my whole career, basically. And yeah, I'm, 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 looking forward to feeling what it uh, feeling what it's like and yeah I, i mean fair play to you for deciding not to do that did you ever have publishers approaching you no really
5: yeah i feel like um i think the way i run things is i think i really make it look like i already have those things in place you know yeah like i think yeah. When you look me up and the way I brand my my music and my art, I think everybody would think I have a manager.
2: You don't but have a manager. Sorry. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I knew well, you were you independent and, like, you're very independent then.
5: Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. As a manager, it's not like it used to be in the 60s. I mean, what's a manager? Okay, so let's just say I bring in $200,000 a year. I bring in as an indie artist, let's say. Yeah. So, a manager comes in at what? 15% of that? Maybe 20%? Maybe you all get 20% of what you earn as an indie artist. What do they walk away with in a year? Not much. Not much. The hard work that (laughs) they're putting into it, right? Like, really.
2: Yeah, that's. We did a whole episode on management, and it's a very difficult job. And um, yeah, I like. I, I thought once oh maybe I could manage Fionn and then I thought no abs- absolutely not it's um <laughs> it's a very Sorry. like it's far too much it feels like a lot of responsibility for for not very much you know
5: it is and it's not like it used to be like you know the Eagles the Beatles like Elvis you know with the Colonel like these people would get these managers who believe in them so much and they would stay with them through the decades of their journey and they would be there every step of the way and it was more of a there was just it it was obviously it was about money but there was something there was money because money has to be made because people have to survive but there was also this feeling of this loyalty this partnership and creativity that's so much of that has been lost so a manager comes in and it's just a quick return quick return get them signed get them but they don't realize that like you know that because that structure is not working for so many artists these days like I feel like you really do have to invest in the long-term. You really have to look at it as like a long-term gain. You know, it's like investing in land, 25 acres, and then building for the next, you know, 15 years, your dream home. It yeah. takes time and it takes sacrifice.
0: Yeah.
5: And sometimes you're not going to be making money because you're thinking about what this could be one day. Yeah. So I think that's been lost that it's like, who's going to come in? and do for me better than what I can do for myself at this point? And am I willing to give, if I'm, if that's what I'm making in a year, am I willing to give such a big percentage away for answering my emails? Like what, like, like I've always been thinking, okay, look, if you can get me, okay, let's, let's talk realistically. I just put out an album season. Somebody could come in and get me for Brandy Carlisle. Okay, well, what are we talking about here? All right, like if you can make some moves for me, that'd be yeah. awesome. But remember, I was signed with moving Azoff. I was at Azoff Management, and I, I, you know, practically almost sold out the Troubadour, and they yeah. still didn't know what to do. They're like, we don't know what to do because they're signing on comedians, and Chelsea Handler's right next door, and I'm sitting there as an artist. Like, I feel like so many people don't know what to do with artists anymore that they've yeah. lost any idea at all it's like she's doing that that's working let's do what she's doing so it's just like comical you know like you just gotta like we gotta change it up we gotta change it up you know what does a manager even like sorry to say this but i would never manage really an artist because it's like what are they do they even do anymore their goal is to get the artist signed okay then what i've had the best management in the world and they couldn't do anything for me i just lost I lost and was shelved, and things would, you know, like. And what is it because I suck? Well, no, it's because you have no power, or control in that industry.
3: Yeah! Wow, Alex! Fuck! <laughs> Bam! <laughs> I've, I've 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 too many questions. um <laughs> No, I I agree. <laughs> like like to parallel like um. For example, in making like a short film or um working on a music video at the moment, I'll self-produce it because no one's gonna give as much of a shit at this stage, aside from me, like there isn't that much money in it, or no one's gonna put in like the unpaid time to do it. And I can't imagine like at this point someone coming on board and really caring. Now maybe I'm just like underselling myself to myself. I agree with you, and but also in the in the American sense, isn't there like talent agencies and it's a bit different than it would be in um in the UK just like if, if you were there
5: there used to be yeah talent agencies are awesome I mean at the end of the day the whole COVID thing kind of threw things for a loop because obviously if I have this independent nature I would definitely was not going to be told what to do at that time so that didn't help me on the acting end like I uh, I feel very I feel like in the you know It's a really exciting time because we have the ability to build a fan base organically. And our currency as artists is our listeners. Our currency as artists is our viewers. So if I were to be starting out wanting to make films, I would be holding like screenings in New York all the time and like underground, renting out friends places, making it an event. You know, like when the police came out and the police are coming, like I'm doing this, I'm making movies, like I'm doing it with nothing and building a team and we're so excited to create and like we're doing it our way. You have to really think outside of the box because you have everything you need now. Okay, so there's this little, I mean, look at it. When you watch the Oscars these days, like, okay, there's this little, what, this 10% percentile of major budget. Like, and what is that? Like, that's what we're looking at? No, there's so many incredible artists and art that are unsigned that don't even have agents. And it's like, I'm more interested in those people. I'm more interested in those rebels and those creators than I am what's being regurgitated at me on a billboard. Like don't shove down my throat that I'm supposed to like this film. Like, I think it sucks. Nice. And just because Weinstein's behind it, you think I care? (laughs)
3: Like
5: it's an exciting time to be making art because if you have like a punk mentality about it and you look at it as it's the art that matters the most, everything comes after that money, success, doesn't matter. The integrity of the art is everything is an artist yeah. or you're not an artist. If you start thinking that way and you're willing to, like, wow. you know, to be poor, you're willing to wear secondhand clothes, then, like, I think that's the way that you're going to cut through the noise and cut through the McDonald's that's being put out into the world right now.
3: There are so many barriers you can put yeah. up for yourself as well if you think about it too much in, in the... In that way, of like, am I going to get to like the Oscars? Am I going to get to fucking Cannes? Who cares?
5: The Oscars? Yeah. Start your own. Start your own. <laughs> Think bigger than the Oscars. Yeah. Think like I don't. Go, I don't yeah. go to the Oscars. I don't want to be at the Oscars. Mm. I was invited. Wow. I don't care yeah. for it. Like you know, to me, this is the only way because it's been it's too much now. It's too grandiose. It was it was good. Probably like in nineteen ninety four you know when jurassic park and legends of the fall and like all these amazing movies came out in 94 right and then it was like i think ever since then it's just slowly been this desperate this desperation that is just to me it's lost the art factor of it all you know
2: yeah it's it's become more about money and fame or something it's it's like yeah and and the art is
3: is gone gone. how how do you How do you present yourself online with that in mind? Because I'm going to gear up to start releasing a lot more this year. I just released my first song in November and wasn't really doing the online thing because it was just enough of a craft as it was. But, like, with that in mind, there's the like connecting with your fans and building a fan base and then trying to do it without like that point where you're just like, hi guys, welcome to my vlog. (laughs) You know, today we're. It's like that like art and connection and then there's just shite and meaningless attention grabbing i don't know how to walk that line um
2: yeah you do it very well alex you're very personal online i think and like i feel like i know yeah. you and i've only met you once do you know <laughs> what i mean um how do you go about how do you go about that i try
5: to be as as transparent as possible i mean there's realities like i don't like tiktok i don't like what it's doing to art i don't like how it's making artists into 10 second commercial songs i also think it's a very it's yeah. a window that's going to close. I don't think it's lasting. So I've not been super active yeah. on TikTok. And it's so funny, it's like any trend, you know, like, oh, the, the color is blue this season. You have to wear blue, blue is the, blue's the color, Alex. Yeah. It's like, I just, I don't buy into the gimmicks of the industry and the, and the algorithms. And like, I just, I don't buy into it. I think humans need human connection. I think there's a lot of people in the world who are suicidal. I think it's really hard to live in this world. Mm. And I think that we need to stop, you know, just stop uh, chasing the facade. And I think that, you know, in my life, obviously there's, as I'm growing as an artist, I want to get more real. You know, I have to think about what I say online because I have children and I also I also, it's such a caustic world, right? If I come out with a view on something, like I don't talk about my politics because I am not, you know, I am not um, on the front lines. Um, That's not what I'm trying to do in my life. I'm trying to make music. That's what I do. I make music. You can like it. You cannot like it. That's what I do. I'm not here to be um, an activist by any means. And I think that with this caustic world and people being so... Traumatized and so quick to be to hate because those aspects on social media, they mm. learn it right. Oh, I'll just say whatever I want. Just, like this doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm trying to just focus on the music aspect of things. Um, if that answered your question, I don't know.
3: <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I, I forgot what it was to be honest. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, well, I think you came across to me as an artist, so that does totally make sense. You know, you're focusing on the music, and that comes across on on your social media. I I, I don't know, it just mm. felt really authentic to me, and yeah, but really also good advice. That's it, it, what it comes down to at the end. That's what we're doing, it making music. Is, it, we have to be focused. It on is that.
5: focusing on that. I think just to kind of talk about you know your journey and you know you're recording with the band and you're you're doing that all and putting it together there's this real idea and there's a lie that's been told, I think, to artists, which is that you have to make all of your money by your art. I don't think that's true. I think your art is what defines your care. It's who you, it's your creative aspect of yourself, but there's also very realistic aspects of yourself and there's, you know, getting the eggs from the chicken coop and keeping your space clean and keeping a roof over your head. And as you're navigating the sea of that as an artist, those are all very stoic and important attributes to being a human being is surviving. And I think that people think in history yeah. that I have to be, if I'm not making all my income from my art, I'm a failure. And it's yeah. like, no, no. If you're doing art on the weekends, if you're doing it when you get home, if you're filling it into your, to your world, you're fitting it into your life, I think that you are absolutely an artist. I think every, I believe that people forget that we are all artists. We are, we were created through a moment of love and joy and art and creativity. And we forget that the whole process of pregnancy and birth, and it's just such a beautiful act of creativity, and we are so unique, and we are all created completely different with these beautiful ideas. There's nobody else in the world like you. And I think it's so sad that there's so many artists sitting in the basement somewhere, not realizing their dreams because of those lies that have been told, which is I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be that person. So I might as well just give up. And it's like, no, go do your day job, get home, get on a cup of tea, be healthy to your brain and your body and work on your art and never give up on your art. Never give up on that aspect of yourself because nobody else does it like you. There's no one else who can do it like you. And I think that people forget that all the time. And I find it just a death. It's so heartbreaking because we're all going to die and we're all going to leave this world. And it's like, you know, and in your mind, you thought, well, you know, I'm a mailman and I'll never be able to create. And it's like, no, because you are ke- keeping a roof over your head through your day job. Now you can create.
3: Yeah. It's a strange line. I for The songs I'm bringing to the studio, I wrote since I was 18. I'm in my mid twenties now. And I don't know what I thought life was going to be <laughs> by the time I brought them into the studio. Um, and I'm trying to like, go back to like being a 19 year old going like this is how i feel i'll go like yeah <laughs> all right buddy. Yeah, exactly. uh, like, <laughs> you know but like life you grow up you have to like adapt and yeah but it, it, it's funny but that yeah it, it, the art's there for that and then life is there with it and but i think out of all of it like getting to play with such fantastic musicians or just like share that share like those moments or the real stuff is important and I don't know, I think you captured that really well.
2: Yeah, you really did. That was
5: so Yeah, inspiring. well, I'm glad because remember that art doesn't, we have egos and we have dysfunctions and we have those things, but your art and your creativity does not have ego. It is as bare as the dirt on the ground. It is as raw and as, you know, it can be as insignificant as you want to make it, which is art in itself too. Like, I feel like people put so many stories and they just put so many walls around themselves and it's really sad. And I hate that about the industry. How do you define success? That should be written on every single artist's wall. What is success? What is the true definition of success? Is success having a yacht and killing yourself because you're so depressed and isolated from the real world and people aren't real with you because they don't know how to be? And there and you, you know, you develop phobia because you're such a perfectionist that you're not even living life anymore. You're isolated and yeah. alone in your yeah. riches. Is that life? Or, you know, what's the de- like what is the definition? We, we we people strive and chase for this idea, and it's so empty. I mean, it's yeah. the most empty of human experience, is just is that's what you're desiring. Yeah. And even desiring the desiring the I, the idolization from people is a trap because humans are not supposed to be idolized. Yeah. Some of the saddest times in my entire life was being the lead of a TV show because I felt like nobody was telling me the truth. I'd walk into the yeah. room and everybody yeah. was going to lose their job if they were real with me. People couldn't tell me anything real because I was just a puppet on a string and they yeah. had to do what they needed to do to kind of, you know, um, survive. And it was very isolating. And I remember feeling the pressure and the weight and... It's why my album was called Wait. It's mm. like you know, I think we need wow. to start changing. People need to start changing their definition of success, right? Like,
2: yeah, absolutely, absolutely,
5: killing us, and it's killing the arts.
3: When you you were working on the the early albums and wishing you could go on tour, when you finally made it on tour, how did that feel? Do you feel like the what you had in your head matched it, or did you feel it was especially being independent compared to what it would have been with a label? How did you find that? when I finally came around.
5: It was amazing. I would play some shows when I first started touring would be 10 people. And I always had this theory that, or this belief that whether you're playing to one person or you're playing to 5,000, you have to put on the best show. And you have to believe in Mm. it and you have to be there because that's a human being is processing this. And I've always had that feeling that whether it's, I'm changing one person's life for the better, and I'm getting them through something in their life that is intolerable. if I can be of a benefit and if my art can be of a release for them, then that is equal to you know thousands of people. And when I was on tour, it would be so amazing when you manage your expectations in life and you manage it and you're healthy about it, then when you're playing to a 400 packed venue, I mean the joy you feel as an indie artist that you've earned. My currency is my fan base. Like my VPs are people yeah. who are willing to share that with me. Like here's the trade: I'll give you this, you know, these coins, and then you give me your time and your story, and and you and time with you. Yeah. That is such a beautiful human exchange. You are creating this as well. You're you're funneling my art, my Patreon community. Every sure. fan I get on Patreon on is like 75 bucks a month I want I want to know what's going on I want updates on what you're doing I want the real story I want you know like and I give it all to my fans like I want to give up today really hard I don't know why I do this I got this look at this rejection email I just got can you believe that this person said this this is insane and they're like oh my gosh and they're a part of it and they feel like they're connected because we are on the same level we're just we just have a trade deal going on You know, I give you music, you help make them it's awesome. It's like direct consumer like farming. It's great. You know?
2: Yeah, that's so interesting. And with your like with your shows, obviously without a manager and stuff, like your how are you how are you choosing where to go and play? Are you doing this all yourself and then you're calling the venue and
5: Organizing I am. Work. I actually tried to look for a booking agent for this tour. I did the European tour. I booked it myself too. I learned a lot. So you learn a lot doing things, right? It can feel daunting, but when you, do, yeah. you learn and you get better at it. So at yeah. this point I, think I can actually start booking bands <laughs> <laughs> myself. I'll just book tours. Yeah, um,
2: you, yeah you probably could.
5: Um, I noticed the same archaic, Within, you know, like calling up a venue that I've sold out before, and trying to get in touch with the person who owns the venue. Like, hi, I'm Alex Johnson, and it's like I don't talk to the artists.
2: Yeah, interesting. They're used to dealing with agents, I suppose.
5: Yes, but I mean, what is an agent? An agent is just a middleman who basically takes a cut from the artist. Yeah. So, how does that make? sense Yeah,
2: and so you would have played the venue, sold it out, and then got in touch without an agent and said, "Hi, I'm I'm back, and I want to do a show." and Yeah, they just don't want to talk to you.
5: They just don't want to talk to you. And don't get me wrong, like a booking agent, that's an awesome job. Like that's like, you know, that's a a good, I mean, that's a percentage that you get. It's a lot of work, but by doing it myself, I just don't have to pay out that 20% from my tour sales. I get to just, so if I play a show of 50 people instead of 500, I directly get to keep every single earning except for the deal I made with the venue. And that goes right into the tour cost and it keeps it going and I don't have to be cutting 10% yeah. to management, 20% to booking, you know, whatever it is like, and don't get me wrong. Like, I think that there's definitely places for, for, for booking agents. I just, I think it's a, it's a, it's really like a bit of a secret. How much yeah. power you have as an artist yourself, you know, if you're willing to do the work.
3: And on, on that European tour, you played in the Olympic cafe. Yeah
2: yeah what happened there because i saw on instagram recently you were you know you were talking to your fans basically just open communication i thought it was very honest yeah like t- tell us what happened
5: well that just sucks you know that's just a no matter what you do in life what no matter what business you're in you're going to deal with bad people right people who have who are thieves people who steal people who lie that just is par for course to being a human on this planet. So all you can do is kind of, you know, protect yourself moving forward. Um, you know, do better guarantees with venues, make sure that you, you know, you protect yourself as best as you can. I should have gotten 50% guarantee. They owe me about, you know, 6,500 us and uh, they, they they've disappeared. So for me to go, you know, go to Paris from, from Canada to try to chase that would be 2,500 pounds and then what are we talking about, or Euro, and then what are we talking about, it's like, it, it's it's a sad situation, um, and uh, And those are the things, yeah, those are the things that can happen, obviously, when you don't have Live Nation behind you. But maybe through these things, and through these independent endeavors from artists, there will be a subculture that's created of young and, yeah. you know motivated booking agents who are willing to take on smaller doesn't have to just be live nation and you know maybe there's like smaller booking agents who come in and they take a smaller percentage but that they you know they're passionate about doing that you have enough clients on your roster you got 20 bands that you book in a year and you're happy you go and you put a down payment on a home like it's just about these are the learning experiences that can really that can change the industry you know what i mean
2: yeah after this all happened, you how have you got the
3: money back? No, I mean, they still owe me really? money, so you know, if they are going to go to Paris,
5: <laughs> yeah. And my fans were so upset. I mean, that, that show was 180 at this really quaint, and I had about 40 VIP who came, and we had you know, it was a beautiful evening with music, and it was awesome, and I didn't expect to have really any fans in paris it was like but you know how i do it with my with my tours is i i try to poll. so i ask publicly i'll pull like where do you want to see me play where will you show up to my shows and then it kind of floods in and i
2: cool. yeah
5: who wants to see me where so then i can at least have some type of assurance that i'm not wasting my time in kokomo you know
2: yeah I so i do have just a couple more questions i well first of all how how can we help i know at on your on Instagram, you like some of your fans were pitching together to help you uh, with legal fees, right? To try and get this money back.
5: Oh yeah, that's just on my my link tree. So I have a link tree, um, and it's like right I think it's called Lecchi, L E E C H I. It's a they yeah, they pulled they just put together this little fund. You know, it's always again, it's like it's hard. You know, you're already as an indie artist, like you're fueling your art and your work from you know consumer to to creator, which is such a beautiful relationship. And it does feel, um, the word isn't embarrassing. It just feels, I don't want to distract or feel any, like it takes away from the magic. It takes away from the the positivity. It's like a negative little thorn that I kind of want it to go away. And I'm almost willing at this point, and I have been, it's not me, it's the fans. Like I did that video because my fans in Paris were like, you got to talk about this fund that we started for you. I'm like on my public page. So they're like, yeah, I was like, okay, sure. Like wow. let's, let's see what happens. And it is bringing in some money, which is great, which could help get the lawyer, you know, to basically go get that money that I owed. But at the end of the day, these things happen in life. You can't let it keep you down. You got to keep moving forward. It's money. It's just money. You know, money isn't everything, yeah. right? It's not ours anyway. It's like water. It comes, it goes. You have it, you give it, right? Like, yeah. So that was a beautiful night I had in Paris. I'll never forget it. And I got to play my music for such a beautiful audience of people. It was very emotional. And I wouldn't change it for a second. So I didn't get paid for it. Like, Who cares? Like uh. at the end of the day, I would still go back and play. Not at the Olympic Cafe, but... <laughs>
2: So, honestly, it just sounds like you have such a nice, honest and close relationship with your fans. And it's just so nice that like your French fans are there to help you when this happens. And also, I mean, you deserve that money, Alex. <laughs> and I hope I I do hope you get it. And it's kind of, I suppose, testament to the sort of industry we're in that doesn't have much regulation that someone can actually do this to you. It should not be allowed. And, you know, you shouldn't have to say, oh, forget it, because I have loads of other things to kind of worry and think about so i uh, yeah i really hope i really hope you get the money back and and uh, and i hope something happens you know <laughs> to stop this happening again what would you say to artists who this might happen to like well, any any advice if this happens you know if this were to happen to me how what would you say or i
5: don't i i think it's one of those things where the best thing you can do is just you know get a percentage of your guarantee get your get a guarantee in advance just just so you're not walking okay. away with a complete loss of funds, you know, and um, yeah. I've often if you're doing VIP, run it through your own Eventbrite, run your VIP sales, at least through your own Eventbrite. And also, too, you know, if you're playing a market that's new to you and you're unfamiliar with it and there's a language barrier, you could always just mm-hmm. rent a space, rent a beautiful space and pay the money up front and pay the three four hundred yeah. dollars to get a nice open space for, you know, 200, 100 to 200, whatever it may be, 50 people, doesn't matter. House shows yeah. are fantastic because you can say, make the ticket price what you want. There's tons of platforms that support hosting your own tickets now. So you could do an entire wow. tour without even playing venues and you could make the equal amount of money by where people, you know, like a, a hall, a place, just get the gear up, get your stuff set up, play a show. It doesn't matter where it is. You're still... You know, you're still earning enough to keep going on to the next one. So just get creative, and just if you are working with venues that that feel a little bit, uh, you know, rock and roll, a little bit, you know, those, you know, those venues that are just kind of keeping your head above water.
2: Yeah, maybe just yeah.
5: Do, do some good research and make sure that if you're playing a place like that, that you just get that guarantee ahead of time. I would say. Oh, but
2: that sounds so exciting, booking your own shows. It really does, like sound like a lot of fun putting these things together and searching out venues and searching out, you know, different sort of venues, houses like you were saying. Um, it just sounds like a, a lot of fun and, and really humanizes everything and stops like you said, it removes the middleman it removes these barriers that are that are there between artists and fans and it just makes it all about connection which is so, so cool and a lovely way to round it off to how we met, uh, just from some fan. <laughs> and, Uh, getting in touch i think it's so cool um and just before we let you go alex like how can we support you and your music like where 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 can we go to, to support you i know you have a big tour lined up obviously this year for any uh american listeners and then elsewhere like where would you send us is it spotify is it your website is it Oh, yeah. don't get
5: me started on Spotify. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it, uh, honestly, just, uh, you know, there's um, on my Patreon page, you can just, you can just, uh, you can be a part of it completely for free. So, you can just go to oh, cool, of- cool. my Patreon and you can just be... Um, You can follow, which is really cool because then you'll see the content that I'm posting. And if you ever do want to jump in on something or you want to get commentary from something I've been in, film and TV, like a commentary of that or demos. I'm giving demos away all the time. Every month there's a new demo. I do live streams every month where I take requests of songs that people want to hear. I I give merchandise. I send off packages of merchandise from my store that I run. Cool there's all these cool incentives. And I like the fact that I'm building this following on Patreon and then people yeah. will dip in at $2 a month. They'll go, Oh, I want a newsletter this month or I'll pay $5 to see a live stream. So it's been really fun that Patreons made that. That's a new thing that Patreon does. It used to be just pay only. And now yeah. I have these people following what I'm doing on Patreon. So go follow me on Patreon. Um, and, you know, follow me on um on Instagram and and buy my my buy my music buy a vinyl from me yeah just buy a vinyl because it's anything you get from my store directly comes into the music and directly goes into comes to me Spotify I get nothing from Spotify Uh, yeah so so
2: that's that's brilliant it's great to know all of that because yeah yeah, you never know sometimes fans can want to help and they're actually not or they're throwing money into some big pile or whatever so it's great to know that yeah go to your website buy something you will actually you know uh you will actually see see from it you know and yeah the patreon sounds really exciting as well i'm gonna have to sign up uh alex i'm gonna have to sign up and i can't i can't wait
5: awesome well i can't wait too like the next time i obviously come over there and play ireland which i will again I'll be reaching out to you guys and I'll get you on the list and whoever you'd like. And maybe Chris. I'll uh, uh,
2: maybe thank we'll you. share the stage. Sound. Maybe thank I'll you. get you. Uh, I really, I really hope so. Honestly, I've I really those. mean that. I love your songs. Like, um, yeah, I'd love to maybe even write a song if you do that uh, one day. Cause, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm totally
5: down. It, it seems like we'll, uh, this is a great connection that we've made and, and uh, you know, nice to make friends with you both. And um, thank you for
2: that was so inspiring so inspiring honestly
3: i at all the the stage i'm at you mentioned so many things and made them really accessible i'm like oh i can like (laughs) book shows and do this thing um that i was just there the other day just sitting down i was like i can't do that so yeah that's nice i appreciate it
5: you can totally do it it's awesome and uh yeah i'm excited for what is to come in my life you know in the next 20 years, how I'm gonna navigate really, my, my goal is to really inspire, I really wanna inspire artists who feel like that it's not attainable, who feel like they'll never break through. And uh, you just keep your, your ego about you and you keep it realistic and you understand that there's a lot of talented people out there and you come from a loving place with yourself and you know, with your community, then you will never fail. There's no way to fail so i wish you all the best and all of that it sounds off yeah
2: Aww. thank you so much I, honestly i Thanks don't so want to much. say goodbye thank but you. <laughs> thank you so much yeah, I'm just smiling yeah. up. <laughs> oh you're so inspiring you, and, yeah.
5: you know you don't have to like i mean you Aww. edit it the way that you there's nothing i said that i feel like i'm not comfortable sharing so you do what you guys need to do oh you
2: know? yeah it's it's been so nice to chat thank thank you so much again for, yes, for, for coming on
5: Thank you, guys. It was so nice talking. I'm so glad I discovered your podcast. Can't wait to hear it and share uh, it.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks so much.
3: What a fucking legend. she is
2: so fucking cool, man.
3: See my dimples. I know. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever smiled on the podcast. Uh. I'm <laughs>